Are you looking for sustainable, optimized packaging solutions? At Smurfit Kappa, we use our global experience and local knowledge to provide fit-for-purpose packaging solutions for the most complex supply chains. From packaging design to machine systems, we're a fully integrated packaging provider. We can work with you to minimize operational complexity and help you move to sustainable packaging. Contact us at smurfitkappa.com. Smurfit Kappa. Open the future. Welcome to the latest edition of the Packaging Europe podcast. My name is Elisabeth Skoda and I'm an editor at Packaging Europe. Today we're having a closer look at consumer packaged goods, consumer behaviour and perception of packaging, and how the Covid crisis may have changed these. With me today is James Harmer, Planning and Innovation Strategy Leader at Cambridge Design Partnership, uh, with a focus on packaging and FMCG. So a bit more about Cambridge Design Partnership. It is an end-to-end innovation partner focused on helping clients grow. Located in Cambridge in the UK and in Raleigh, North Carolina in the US, the company specializes in the consumer, healthcare and industrial markets. It has multidisciplinary teams with the expert knowledge to identify opportunities and overcome challenges throughout the product development and manufacturing processes. So um, welcome, James. Thank you very much for joining me today. Maybe to start off, you could tell me a bit more about what Cambridge Design Partnership does and about your role within the business. Thanks, Elizabeth. It's a pleasure to be a contributor. As you mentioned, Cambridge Design Partnership is an end-to-end innovation partner, and the focus is on true partnerships with our clients to solve their innovation challenges that range in scope depending on the client need and and the sector. We're very much consumer-centric, making sure that whatever we develop comes from a deep foundation of consumer insight, considering human factors and inclusive design, which is key. Um, and we have got a multidisciplinary team of researchers, strategists, designers, engineers and scientists all working collaboratively across our projects so we can translate insights into ideas, but also move beyond ideas to prototyping in order to, in order to test and learn so that our solutions are manufacturing ready. And we've got a strong manufacturing team developing supply chain solutions and often developing new product processes as part of the innovation challenge. Our innovations are technologically enabled, drawing from a huge amount of science and tech expertise within the company. But we're technology agnostic. We're looking for the right technology, depending on our client's context. And I think what our client partners like about CDP is that we involve them throughout the process. We encourage multidiscipline teams to be involved from marketing, R&D, sales, legal, regulatory and logistics to reduce the, the risk of hitting unforeseen innovation hurdles, let's call them downstream. Context is king, I suppose. There's no silver bullet or, or one size fits all. And one of the most attractive things for our clients is that we're agile and, and responsive. So. Although we have end-to-end expertise, we can get client teams up and running quickly on projects via our design sprints. And during the COVID crisis, we've been um, able to successfully conduct research and our front-end innovation tools all virtually. So, in fact, we've been busier than ever right now, and we're actively recruiting as the team capabilities grow. Personally, I, I work across primarily FMCG projects helping clients within um, the need for innovation strategy at the beginning of a project, developing the right approach for the challenge. Um, And packaging innovation has been a major part of my career for the last 25 years. 
Great. Thank you, James. Yeah, I'm looking forward to, um, to hearing those insights. Um, yeah, my first question was obviously COVID has quite dramatically changed how 2020 panned out, which is in many ways quite different to what we anticipated to happen at the beginning of the year. Um, so before COVID struck, what were the main trends in consumer packaged goods you anticipated for 2020? Well, I think like um, all of us, Elizabeth, uh, anyone that's involved in this industry will, will know that uh, we, we certainly weren't resting on our laurels before the COVID crisis. Everyone was really focused and starting to um, unite together around the challenges to do with sustainability. And I would say that we'll come to that maybe more in the conversation. But certainly that was kind of the overarching trend. Most conferences were obviously dealing with that topic and a lot of people were going away and scratching their heads about how we needed to solve uh, for that afterward. There's obviously um, a lot of work as well that was planned on returnable packaging, thinking about different ways in which we could solve for this um, sustainability challenge amongst many other opportunities there. But I think as well as that, smart packaging was slowly starting to see more and more opportunities and, and uh, spaces where that could become involved. I think the one thing that I'd mention here that went alongside all of this, of course, is that as ever, FMCG companies were facing significant margin compression. So that meant um, people were needing to innovate in different ways, thinking about what they could do, material reduction, packaging materials being lightweighted. Um, that's always been a challenge, but maybe more than ever before, it will become more of a challenge in future as we think about the new context that we're in with a, a global recession looming. Absolutely, yes. And um, obviously, the virus has changed how all of us live our lives. Um, how would you say has COVID changed consumer behaviour in different areas? And um, how has the fear of infection and the desire for better hygiene changed priorities? I think one of the things that's come to the fore is that uh, the pandemic has really created lots of uh, tension points in terms of information, what the right information is, what consumers should be doing, how they should be handling things. And that's something that's actually been impacting packaging in particular. Interestingly, um, obviously, there was a consumer concern and worry about the actual packaging materials themselves, concerns about what kind of materials would actually be spreading the virus. And um, although I think the materials piece was maybe a, a misnomer, you know, the FDA did state that transferring the, uh, the virus between one another through packaging was, was certainly unlikely. We've seen scientific reports coming back to say that the virus remains detectable on different surfaces, you know, kind of ranging from 24 hours on things like cardboard all the way, all the way through to 72 hours on things like materials where they've got a smooth surface, stainless steel some plastics and that's been supported by quite a few US medical journals so that there is this ongoing um, I guess dialogue about packaging and, and whether packaging is at the fore of spreading the virus I think more and more people now have recognized the fact that that's not uh, an issue it's more about who it is that's touched that pack um, in the moments before maybe you've touched it but needless to say that is something that uh, has been front of mind for consumers and safety concerns and hygiene concerns I think are going to probably persist long after the, the pandemic subsides. And I'm not sure whether people are still worried about packaging the way that we have about, you know, washing your packaging at home. Certainly my family did spend a lot of time in those first few uh, weeks, maybe a few months, 
um, washing, washing the packaging that we got when uh, the shopping was delivered. Apparently, more than two thirds of US consumers are still concerned about this. And there's data to show that 40% are still using household disinfectants to clean certainly some of the products that they buy. I mean, in the short term during the crisis, there was an increased use, of course, in kind of single use packaging. And we saw the reintroduction of things like plastic bags to limit contact with people like the delivery drivers um, you know, in coffee shops. They weren't accepting the refill cups any longer to avoid contact and cross contamination. And we know that obviously people like Starbucks, they uh, pause their reusable cups that were being used in store. So it's kind of hard to know how long some of the aftershock, the after effect of these things is going to last with regards to people being much more cautious about the hygiene required around packaging. But we certainly saw that as a shockwave when, when the virus hit. Adversely, um, and what's really surprised me about potentially people's concern about contact with packaging is that we, st- we still saw Tesco last month launch uh, Loop, the Returnables initiative, and um, they obviously thought it was still the right time to do something like that um, and are fully committed. And it's, it's really good to see that the, the kind of loop experiment, as I would call it, hasn't lost momentum kind of for a, a reinvention, I suppose, of how we might use packaging in the future. So against all odds, you know, with the, the, the concerns around hygiene and, and consumer contact, the fact that returnable packaging hasn't fallen off the agenda I think is quite encouraging and makes me feel like um, there will be the, the chance to educate consumers and, and make sure that we don't get into a situation where we're just needlessly pumping out lots of additional um, waste packaging material just to try and reassure consumers of something that isn't fundamentally a, a real tangible challenge in future. Thank you, James. Yes, it's definitely encouraging to hear that sustainability efforts haven't been totally undermined by the pandemic. So um, sometimes innovation can come out of um, adversity. Have you seen any notable packaging innovations as a result of COVID-19? Well, it's interesting. I mean, the three major requirements for packaging, the kind of packaging must haves is always, you know, making sure that whatever we're developing is, is done at a reasonable cost, delivering convenience, delivering performance. But I think what we're now seeing the addition of into the fundamental packaging briefs would be a good sustainability narrative that's coupled very closely with hygiene in mind, which might not have been as relevant for some sectors as it is now and designed for e-commerce. I mean, we'll, we'll maybe we'll talk about that a little bit more, but the fact that, you know, we need to make sure that in future um, we're able to work within a bricks and mortar context, but we've obviously seen the rise and rise of e-commerce. And so notable packaging innovation for me, has really been around making sure that packaging works for that e-commerce channel as well. Maybe a couple of other thoughts here. I mean, it's interesting to see the way in which cosmetics have adapted the way that the samples are used and and trying to reduce the amount of consumer interaction um, with with products. In fact, Boots got rid of their samples altogether. So there's probably going to be some innovation I would expect, although we haven't necessarily seen it yet, around how to deal with things like samples and uh, consumer contact. I think the other thing that's really been interesting um, is the ways to kind of protect and preserve open food in supermarkets. So, you know, how do they um, make sure that things that were open for consumers to use before, like the deli bar and salad bar, are going to be adapted 
um, the meat and deli counters that we that we know um, and love. How do all of those things that had been exposed before had been eligible for the consumer to to go and, and touch things like fruit and vegetables? Um, obviously, we, we've seen packaging start to creep back in where we were trying to get rid of it before. Plastic now coating some of those uh, everyday staples. So it's going to be interesting to see whether that takes hold and continues. And retailers are obviously having to react in a measured way in response to the fact that consumers are concerned. I think um, what we need to do is, is be mindful of this, but also cast our vision further and think, is there going to be potentially other pandemics in the future or other needs to react to situations like the pandemic in future where we really need to have a better handle on where products have come from, um, how products have been uh, handled. And and therefore, I think smart packaging could really win through in terms of monitoring and control. Um, We're looking at lots of things right now at CDP um, where there's infant technology that's developing really, really quickly to help connect um, and join the dots. For example, in future, if an entire batch of products is seemingly um, infected or damaged by something, is it possible in future whereby smart packaging can actually dictate and and show uh, within the supply chain exactly where that happened or exactly how many things got spoiled or damaged so that an entire shipping container doesn't have to be scrapped? This This is, I think, a future in which technology could be incredibly helpful to us. Obviously, a recession is going to have its own set of new challenges and a new set of objectives for packaging on margin and pricing. But I'd also predict before the end of the year that we're going to see some brands launching premium comfort propositions that are targeted really at giving consumers new cheaper thrills, kind of affordable and premium products versus big spends on things like consumers holidays abroad. So we, we might see some brands, I guess, reaching for packaging differentiators here to help with propositions like that. And, and so interestingly, the idea of kind of reducing packaging and, and cutting back on packaging material, but also maybe looking for things that are going to create excitement. We could be in a situation where we're looking at both of those things happening in tandem. Mm, absolutely. Some really interesting points there, James. Thank you. Um, and how would you do you think has the change in consumer habits affected demands on packaging? For example, people are maybe not so much now, but until recently have been going out less and um, basically trying to get their shopping done as quickly as possible. Well, I knew we'd come on to the subject um, and I mentioned it before, but of course the the big change in habit has been a lot of consumers who weren't fully engaged in e-commerce before now becoming much more um, invested into it as an idea uh, and an idea that works really, really well. And so, you know, one of the big trends that we saw were baby boomers, older consumers who, you know, potentially had resisted the idea of moving from bricks and mortar, ultimately being pushed into the e-commerce model. And actually, for the majority of them, seeing the benefits and, and the convenience here. All of a sudden, you've had um, businesses like Gusto, who were doing meal boxes di- direct to your door that uh, had all the ingredients that you needed for that evening's meal, really you know, rising exponentially in terms of sales. Incredible sales figures I've seen for some of those companies. And, you know, I think this is an area where it's going to be very interesting in terms of uh, packaging in particular. There's a huge amount more packaging required for some of these things in terms of e-com delivery. Um, and certainly for things like Gusto, there was 
refrigeration units, ice packs inside there, fleeces sometimes wrapped around certain aspects of food to keep things at the right temperature. And although I really enjoyed the new experience of these uh, of these kind of meal kits and things, I am concerned about the, the amount of packaging in the future if we move toward a model where so much is direct to consumer and, and e-commerce requires lots more packaging. So we've got to be really smart about the way that we use packaging. I think, you know, one of the points here is brands have the ability to go straight to consumers maybe. And so there's less touch points um, in getting products to consumers, reducing the amount of steps and increasing simplicity, but also giving people a different experience, a different sort of brand message, a very unique point of difference maybe in the sort of packaging that's being used. And, and I don't know about you, but I mean, what's been really interesting to me is that I was very used to having food and, and comestibles delivered to the front door. But all of a sudden, during lockdown, we started shopping for things like that you wouldn't normally necessarily have delivered to your front door. The house plants, for example, my wife ordered a, a bunch of house plants that we wanted and they came in beautifully packaged situation with really delicate packaging to, to kind of protect the plant inside and then um, really robust packaging on, on the outside. And so it's got me thinking about, you know, is there anything that we really couldn't send these days via um, e-com? You know, if the packaging is done well, um, not just in terms of safety and security, but also in terms of romanticizing the product itself. And we've seen some great examples of that. I guess, you know, recently things like Garçon Wines coming straight through the letterbox. Bloom and Wild is a really good example of how you can have an experience that comes straight through your letterbox of, you know, who would believe it, you know, five years ago, but fresh flowers delivered straight to your door. And so we're in a situation where more and more products are going to potentially come to the consumer in this way. We've just got to be very conscientious about how we're packaging things to make sure that we're minimizing packaging as, as best we can. And maybe one added point there is a drive from uh, people like Amazon, who I've had the pleasure of, of working with and, and, and talking to in the past with regards to their packaging rationalization programs, whereby, you know, the primary pack and the secondary pack need to fundamentally merge together so that they've got the ease of being able to label things and send them direct without having to repackage. And I think that's going to be a big focus in the future, especially if um, uh, the, the, the e-com uh, rise continues it's going to be about real rationalization of packaging to work to make it fit for use and at the moment we're still kind of tied into a bricks and mortar model for a lot of packaging well I, I think that's going to change and change quite quickly yeah it definitely looks like there's um exciting times ahead for uh, e-commerce and e-commerce packaging and lots of potential for new developments and uh, innovations Coming back to bricks and mortar just for a moment, um, have you observed an increased relevance of packaging as a silent salesperson, as people maybe aim to get in and out of the supermarket really quickly to get their shopping done? Yeah, I think it's a really interesting question, Elizabeth, in terms of this silent salesperson. Um, I think people have really questioned where things are coming from, how safe they are, and what we've seen are, are kind of category, I suppose, changes where the packaging has had to adapt quite quickly. For example, you know, pick and mix used to be that kind of pleasurable ritual of children with their parents going and uh, having that moment of, of making a confectionery selection. 
Well, you know, one of the things that we saw straight away are those things being bundled and wrapped um, for the consumer. It kind of took all the theatre um, out of some of the pick and mix fixtures because, again, there was a need for people to be able to get in and get out quickly. And so I guess uh, as well as this idea of a silent, silent salesman, that there are just some categories that potentially seem to be more relevant and, and potentially could win over others in, in this context. Packaging that seemed to have additional layers of hygiene and, and, and be uh, protected certainly did a good job of, kind of leveraging those things. And uh, I know for a fact from categories like the soap categories and uh, categories that were selling cleaning products, that um, one of the things that that I had been grappled with and wrestled with from some of my colleagues in the FMCG industry was a move away from messaging where for so many years we had like a 99.9% germ kill messaging on the on the front of packs and it was kind of deemed whether or not a couple of years ago that uh, that was an old and, and, and tired message so should we be going for things that were more aesthetically pleasing you know changing the kind of semiotic cues to, to make these things kind of fit with lifestyle aspirations in terms of the, the graphics but um, it was interesting to see that uh, if you had a claim to make that was 99% bacteria kill, that's certainly the the predominant um, the predominant message that brands who could say that wanted to get across. And those things were actually becoming bigger and larger and inflated on packaging. So it's quite difficult for obviously brands and um, manufacturers to to pivot packaging formats quickly um, but it is much more easy for them to pivot and change and adapt semiotic codes cues graphics and so that's probably the the area where we, we saw the biggest change um, for those that felt that they did have a message to tell the consumer hmm, thank you yes really interesting points there um, so yeah my final question was kind of the holy grail of things to achieve um how would you would you think could um, the two challenges of staying covid safe but still pursuing the goal of achieving more sustainability in packaging be combined i think that's the question on everyone's lips isn't it um it's a very difficult tension to work through and of course um during the COVID crisis, like I mentioned, we, we actually saw more plastic being used, more protective layers of packaging being used. Um, and so there was kind of a reintroduction of packaging and maybe packaging waste uh, into the mix. Really sad as well to see on LinkedIn so many images of uh, PPE that had been used and then dumped and then finding its way into the oceans. I think that this is something that a lot of people are trying to get their heads around right now and what's interesting i think is this metaphor um that i've picked up on and has been talked about a little bit by a number of different people now uh, around how covid could be seen as an acute illness it came at real speed um and we had to deal with it very very quickly and the whole world um was joined together in trying to deal with this whereas what's happened with sustainability i suppose is you know, we've we've known that it's been a, a challenge for a long time and we've done lots of work to try and remedy this in, in the context of packaging. But there's still so much more work to be done. And the, the challenge with sustainability is that we're looking at that more like a chronic um, condition. It's going to take some time to resolve. But I'm an optimist. I think you've got to be optimistic in the world of innovation and 
what I'm delighted by is the fact that one of the things that we prove to ourselves is that during the time of crisis of COVID, we did come together. There were there were moments where you could recognise that people across the world understood that there had been real harm done to the planet. We saw parts of the planet actually kind of self-healing and pollution starting to peel away in certain areas. And so it just, I think, drew to everyone's attention the fact that we do actually need to really step change and actively focus on the chronic condition that we've got. And that's going to really help, I think, catalyse action in future. So loads to be done here, but it's not like people aren't. I mean, I'm really encouraged by the amount of clients that I work with on a daily basis that are all fundamentally focusing in on this area. Um, and moving from the brown and green economy, there's there's money to be made here. I mean, we're obviously having um, a challenging time in the near future when it comes to things like the recession that we're facing into. But for those people who are able to um, use innovation to their advantage and think about the way in which the world is changing, which consumer attitudes are changing and are able to do this in a really cost effective way, you've got to marry those two things together to have something that's really going to hit a sweet spot to be sustainable um, and to stave off hygiene concerns, but also be done in a really cost effective way. And it's those kind of packaging challenges and packaging briefs that we love to get our, our hands on. Thank you very much, James. That's a very nice and optimistic note to end this podcast on. Seems like there's challenges ahead for the industry, but also many opportunities. So yeah, all that remains for me to say is thank you very much for taking the time to talk to me today and uh, thank you for a very interesting conversation. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. If you want to talk to James about anything he has shared in the podcast today, then please reach out to him on LinkedIn or via info at cambridge-design.com. Consumers worldwide are now demanding sustainable packaging. Is your brand ready? At Smurfit Kappa, we use our global experience and local knowledge to create innovative packaging for the biggest brands. As a global leader in sustainability, we can help you find the solutions which are right for your business and right for the planet. Join the sustainable evolution. Contact us at smurfitkappa.com. Smurfit Kappa. Open the future.